Romans 12.2, we read these words as the Lord continues to direct us this morning in our worship service. He says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Brothers and sisters, we're called now to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, and we know the only way that that happens is by the Spirit of God working by and with his word. So it's a call for us to come now to his word, to fellowship with him. Towards that end, let me invite you to turn with me to the book of Malachi, chapter 2, and we will wrap up the text we began last week. Malachi chapter 2, 1 through um, 9, and your bulletin is an outline. Use that to take notes um, and uh, follow along. The goal is for you and me to understand this text um, and so um, let us indeed strive together, um, sitting on the edge of our seats, as you will, as we study together God's word. As this is God's word, let me encourage you out of reverence and respect for the honor of King Jesus to stand at the reading of his word. Please stand together with me. In the words of our king, and now this commandment is for you, O priests. If you do not listen... And if you do not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. And indeed, I have cursed them already because you are not taking it to heart. Behold, I'm going to rebuke your offspring and I will spread refuse on your faces, the refuse of your feasts, and you will be taken away with it. Then you will keep that, um, then you will know that I have sent this a commandment uh, to you that my covenant may continue with Levi, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave um, them to him as an object of reverence. So he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and a righteousness was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many back from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should preserve knowledge, and men should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But as for you, you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by the instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. So I also have made you despised and abased before all other people, just as you are not keeping my ways, but are showing partiality in the instruction. As far as the reading of God's word, let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that we now have this privilege each week, but now this moment, to have this holy time where we fellowship around a portion of your word, a portion which from eternity past, you ordained each and every one of us this place, in this place, to fellowship with you thereby. So Lord, we know you want us to hear this word. You want us to fellowship around this passage, this moment. Lord, we pray, open our eyes. Enable us to behold your word. And God, feast us, fill us, feed us, and grow us. Give me grace to preach, therefore, with fidelity. And may our faith, therefore, be not on the wisdom of men, but on the power of you, almighty God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As a reference last week, 2 Timothy 2 makes this incredible call for us that we handle accurately a word of truth. And brothers and sisters, that word of, of truth is, is in our hands. And it's our privilege this morning to come and to participate in um, learning how 
to handle that word accurately. Malachi is one passage that gives us understanding on how that's done. And we began looking at this last week. And as I fellowshiped around this, this this past week, the incident came to my mind of Abraham and the call that God placed on his life to take his son and sacrifice him on Mount Moriah, which you know is the temple area where Jesus Christ himself was crucified. So 1,900 years after Abraham was to sacrifice his son, God sacrificed his son. But the difference is, God didn't let Abraham go through with it. You know the story, Genesis 22. He told Abraham to stop. There's a ram. Take the ram and sacrifice him in your son's place. What's amazing about this account is the faith that God had given this man. It was a faith that we know from Scripture he would have gone through with it had God not stayed his hand. Why? Was it because he's such a, such a wonderful man? No, it's because of what God in his grace through revelation, this is before scripture was written, but through revelation God had given Abraham, he met with him 10, 15, 20 times throughout the course of 30 years. And in that process, God revealed to this man facets of his character. And one such facet we read about in Hebrews chapter 11 where we read that Abraham did what he did because he considered that God is able to raise men even from the dead. Brothers and sisters, handling God's word accurately involves responding to what God teaches us about himself. That's the first point we saw last week as I summarize what we saw last week. We saw first and foremost, brothers and sisters, handling God's word accurately means that as God reveals himself to us in scripture, we come to understand God, or better yet, we go to God's word to understand who our God is. Malachi 1, 1 through 2, would you notice the text? And now this commandment is for you, O priest, if you do not listen, and if you do not take it to heart to give honor to my name, the word name means character. If you don't give substance, honor, respect to my character, The whole point of God's word, brothers and sisters, is not for you and I to have words to encourage us to live this difficult life. This this is not promises to get us through another day. Brothers and sisters, God gave us this revelation to reveal truths about himself to us. If eternal life is knowing God, John, John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that they may know thee. If that's eternal life, then it seems uh, uh, um, obvious that the reason God gave us his word is so that we too might know God. We might come to a greater understanding of this being who has condescended to have a relationship with us. So being a, 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 um, a wise steward or handling God's word accurately begins by you and I recognizing the reason God gave us this word was not to give us encouragement or a, or a pick-me-up or to feel good or to learn our, our theology. Ultimately, it, so that you and I might come to a greater understanding of who this being is. Coordinate with that we saw last week. A caution that God gave to the the priests of Malachi's day. And that caution is found in 2b. He says, if you do not listen, and if you do not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send a curse upon you. And I will curse your blessings. And at the very end, he says, I will curse them. I've already cursed them already. We saw this already. The word curse there, outside of the context of the kingdom of, of God, Um, invokes or evokes the idea of wrath and condemnation. The curse of God results in hell 
for the non-believer. But in the context of the kingdom of God, that word was used to refer to that which would be our worst. The worst thing that could happen to us as God's uh, people. If the joy of the Lord is our strength, what's the worst thing that could happen to us? Not having the joy of the Lord. So the curse in the context of the kingdom is not God's wrath. It's not God being angry with his people, condemnation. Rather, this is God withholding the sense of his presence. This is God, Psalm 106, giving man his, a people leanness of soul. It's a dryness in our walks. So secondly, brothers and sisters, the stewardship of, of God's word brings with it this incredible responsibility that if you and I come to God's word and abuse it and use it as our little springboard into happiness, brothers and sisters, you will, you will, you will dry up. Your walk with God will dry up. You'll feel distant from God. When you feel that distance, brothers and sisters, that's not the time for you uh, to conclude, boy, God's word's just not doing it. It's time for you to go back to going to God's word to gaze upon the glory and the greatness and the majesty of your God as opposed to going to it for that pick-me-up that so often occurs in Christians' lives. It also comes, brothers and sisters, with this incredible consequence, this other looming consequence found in verse 3, and that is, Behold, I'm going to rebuke your offspring. Now, this could refer to seed, literally his crops, or could refer to his children. And most commentators, uh, uh, commentators take this in light of his children, as we saw last time. And the implication is this. Not that God's going to um, pay our children for our sins. That doesn't happen anymore. But this is Exodus uh, uh, 34, cause and effect. The sins of a father go to the third and fourth generation. I've known of families who have had alcoholism that span generations. That's Exodus 34. Okay, and the same thing here. Brothers and sisters, if you and I misuse God's word, mishandle it. In our, in our walk with God and the consequences, this dryness in our lives, brothers and sisters, not surprisingly, that's going to spread. What's your greatest prayer for the next generation? Is it not that they love Christ more than life? I've sat many times at the door of my children's uh, room praying, God, grant them that their love for you would far surpass mine. Grant them that their devotion for you would be far greater than mine. Grant them, O oh Lord, to love you, to serve you, to be much uh, greater servants of you uh, than mine. That's my prayer. What a horrible thing would be to think that because of what my, my failure could result in a dryness in my life that could spread to other people in my life in terms of, of ministry. That's what Baxter's getting at in the quote there. I'm not going to read it, but you've got it there in your notes. Once again, man, when I'm cold, people are cold. When I'm cold, the people I'm called to minister to soon become cold, and I don't want that. I want you all. I want my children. I want the congregation. I want anyone and everyone that I can minister to to love Christ. And therefore, oh boy, it behooves me to recognize that the ministry of God's word brings with it a responsibility. And that responsibility is rather serious. My call is to submit to the word of God. That's, that is our second point. So the first one is God's word is given that we might come to understand who God is. The second point is God's word is given that we our, ourselves might submit to it. That we might um, uh, find ourselves bound by God's word. And just one more note on that. When it comes to submission to God's word... The ultimate here is not submitting to a commandment. Now, that's not bad, 
But that's not the, the telos. The telos of submitting is submitting to a person. Do you understand that? God in his word is going to teach us things about him. The first point, so that we might honor his character. And we want to submit to that. You, it's, it's the source of, of, of movies. The king acts like a commoner and, and he becomes friends with people. But the moment they discover a facet of his character, what happens? He's king. They immediately fall down and say, oh, king. Brothers and sisters, as you and I come and learn about God, we should immediately fall down in reverence and praise and thank and honor. Name it. That's the idea. So we're called to submit to God's word. Notice that then brings us, thirdly, to now new territory. Verse 4 and following. The calling involved when it comes to the ministry of God's word. What's the formal calling? We begin with verse 4. Then you will know that I have sent this commandment to you that my covenant may continue with Levi, says the Lord of hosts. Now I'm going to skip verse 4 at this point. I'm going to come back to verse 4 at the very end. Um, But I will say this, that behind the ministry of God's word is a divinely ordained end, which ought to govern our understanding of the word of God as we handle it. Um, That being said, notice with me verse 5, he transitioned where he transitions to this section 5, 6, and 7, where God um, tells us how to handle his word. This is how the formal ministry of God's word is be handled. Would you notice? One, it begins with the horizontal tell us. Now, this isn't sequential, like number one, verse 5 is more important than verse 6. This is just a splattering. But verse 5 begins with the horizontal tell us, the horizontal end of God's word, and that is the growth of God's people in grace. Notice with me verse 5. My covenant was, was, was one of life. Now, this covenant is the covenant of teaching with Levi. My covenant was one of life and peace. The idea behind that is that the purpose that God gave the teaching ministry of the priests was, to, was that God's people, in response, would, joy, would enjoy life and peace. That's the point of God's word. Paul says it in 1 Timothy 1.5, the goal of our instruction is love. Love from pure heart, sincere conscience, etc. But brothers and sisters, our goal, the goal of all teaching, the goal of all Bible study, is so that the body of Jesus Christ, your brothers and sisters around you, might love God more and be at peace according to this text. Brothers and sisters, you need to hear this. This passage is not just telling us what's, what's behind this pulpit, what the goal of this pulpit is, that you would love Christ, that this would direct you to trust and love and seek Christ more. This is the, the, the movement, the direction of your personal devotional life before God. Colossians 3.16 says this, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. It's written to the entire body. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. You know what we uh, conclude from Colossians 3, 16? That everyone in the body of Jesus Christ has been given the ministry of, of God's word as a teacher. Everyone. Teaching and admonishing one another with love, etc., etc. Brothers and sisters, the ministry of God's word, what we're talking about today, yes, formally addresses this pulpit or any, or any uh, pulpit ministry, but brothers and sisters, it also addresses your personal ministry. As you spend time in God's word, do you know why you go to God's word? To come to know God, to submit to it, 
And second, or thirdly, so that you might be used by God to encourage the body of Jesus Christ to love and know Christ. So brothers and sisters, in the 80s, there was this big movement, 70s, 80s, for me and my Bible, me all by myself, my personal quiet time, my personal alone time. It's just me and my God. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, but unless that is all that, there, that it is. It, it, it can't end there, brothers and sisters. The reason God gave his word, the ministry of God's word, is a ministry of using it to encourage the body of Jesus Christ to love the Lord and to know the peace of Christ which surpasses all comprehension. So as we've said so many times, when you, when you read and study God's word, read it for other people. Now, you have to apply it to yourself, second point, clearly. But brothers and sisters, read it and study it that you might be a blessing to other people in the body of Jesus Christ. And that is why I encourage every one of you here, have those people who you can on a weekly basis call on the phone and say, what, what is God teaching you in your quiet times? What is God teaching you in your devotional life? It's not just for the high school students are doing that. They've got prayer partners. Every week they're called the, they're, they, they call each other on the phone and talk about what God's teaching them in the word. Brothers and sisters, that should be every one of us. What is God teaching you? Teach it to other people. Secondly, would you notice under this point, um, the vertical to tell us that we come to a fuller understanding of the greatness of God. Now this is similar to what we just saw in um, verses 2. Uh, in verse 2, where, where they were, he gave them God's word that they might honor his name. But there's a little bit of a twist here. Notice with me verse 5b. My covenant with him, the covenant of God's word, was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him as an object of reverence. So he revered me and stood in awe of my name. Brothers and sisters, the first point is that we read the word of God to come to know this person, this living person, this being called God. But this one adds to it. It, add, it brings us to the end. Reverence. Worship. Awe. Oh. It's Job struggling, gr- grappling with his God. You know, God, why? In, in all these different struggles throughout the book of Job. And then Job 42, 5 through 6. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees thee. Therefore I retract and I repent with dust and ashes. Did you see the movement in his life? Grappling with God. We do it now through his word. Grappling with God. God, what does this mean? I don't understand what this, uh, what this text, what you're teaching me about you, Christ, his kingdom, from this text. As you grapple, brothers and sisters, the, the movement is to bring you to the point where you behold God in a way you hadn't seen him before. That's the first point. And that leads then to, secondly or thirdly or fourthly or whatever, that leads us then to reverence. Re- standing before God and going, wow, I placed my hand over my mouth. You are awesome. Isn't that the movement in Isaiah's life? Isaiah 6 begins with, the king's dead. Our Lord, they used to call Uzziah Lord. That's the name you give to a king. Our Lord, in the year of King Uzziah's dead, in the year that our Lord, Adonai, died, I saw Yahweh, also translated Lord. I saw the Lord, high and lifted up, right on and on and on. What happened when he saw that? He responded with these words, woe is me. 
for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips, where my eyes have seen the glory and the greatness of my God. Brothers and sisters, that's what we're after, reverence. We're after coming to know who God is, and then that results in us fulfilling our chief end, glorifying God, adoring him, praising him in the valley, praising him in the difficulties of life because we see, brothers and sisters, God is bigger than, than cancer, and he's bigger than tragedy. He is, the, he is the Lord God Almighty who reigns. And so we bow before him. That's the, a movement. So th- uh, secondly, the vertical tell us that we come to a fuller understanding of the greatness of God. That then leads to the third element in verses 5, 6, and 7. Notice with me verse 6. The ministry of God's word is, um, is to be faithfully uh, proclaimed. We're to faithfully, we're, we're to be faithful in our study of it. Notice with me verse 6. True instruction was in his mouth, and unrighteousness was not found on his lips. The only way a pulpit ministry can turn people back to God if it is, is if it first and foremost is proclaiming the truth of God's word. You know what that means, brothers and sisters, from the perspective of the pulpit? The pulpit is not the place for politics, psychology, social commentaries, personal agendas, counseling, and the many other things that are going on today in broad evangelicalism. The purpose of this um, desk, this holy office, is to proclaim the truth of God's word and nothing more and nothing less. That's it. It's not to inspire. It's not to grow That's what God does. The purpose of this pulpit is to faithfully proclaim the truth of God's word. You see there, true instruction was in his mouth. Unrighteousness was not found on his lips. Notice verse 7. For the lips of a priest should preserve knowledge. And men should seek instruction from his mouth. The whole point of this, of, of God's word, as you think of ministering to other people, whether it's a pulpit or your own life, is that you and I come to understand the truth of God's word. We need to hear this. You all know the difference. You've heard of the language eisegesis versus exegesis. Those are two uh, Latin words, I, I believe. Eis means in, ex means out, Jesus means to read. So eisegesis is to read into a text. Exegesis is to read out of the text. So, so often in our walks today, it is so easy to eisegete God's word. How do we do that? Let me, let's, let's put it down to where we live. I've got an agenda. My agenda is I want, I want justification for this. So I've got a God's word to find justification. Brother, every heretic has his verse, right? That's eisegesis. That is not the ministry of God's word. The ministry of God's word is you and I come to God's word without an agenda. Now, you get, you, honestly, that's impossible. We're sinners. But therefore, we're, we need to be aware. We, all of us have an agenda. Every one of us have, have those high places, those idols that we want, and we want God's word to support. So we go to God's word and go, aha, see, there, there you go. That's why you should dress uh, that way. There you go. That's why you shouldn't drink. That's why you should drink. That's why you shouldn't do that. We, we all do that. Let us be mindful as, 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 as men and women of integrity before God. We bring um, our, our agendas to Scripture. And therefore, let us begin by saying, Lord, I've got agendas I don't know. And therefore, with integrity, may God give us the grace to come to God's word and simply say, Lord, what does this text say? 
regardless of what it means, regardless of how many people I got to say sorry to, what does this text really mean? That's what we're after, true instruction. Think of it in this way. The breath of God in scripture is used to refer to the almighty power of God, right? It's by his breath he made the world. He spoke his breath. It's by his breath he parted the Red Sea. It's by his breath he saves people. The, the spirit of God is, is, is described as breath, wind. We don't know where he goes and to and fro. It's by his breath. So the breath of God in scripture is the nothing less or short of the almighty power of God. Well, did you know that as the ministry of God's word, you are holding in your hands the breath of God? Listen to 2 Timothy 3. It says that all scripture is inspired by God. The Greek word is theopneustos, and it literally means is the breath of God. B.B. Warfield made the comment, the reason why Paul is utilizing this language is not to tell us how God's word came about, but to tell us that the word of God is on the same level as that which created the world. That which resurrects the dead. In other words, it's the almighty power of God. Okay, It's the word of God, not my stories, not my counseling, not my you know, humor, not the many things that, you, that people flock to hear on Sunday morning. That which changes people is the breath of God. All scripture is inspired by God. And what does it do? It's proper for teaching, reproof correction, training in righteousness that the man of God may be mature, adequate, equipped for every good work. What's the purpose of God's word? Brothers and sisters, God's word. It does those things. So therefore, if you and I are going to be students of God's word, we are after the truth of God's word, regardless of what it costs, regardless of the implications of what it means in my life, Regardless of if that means I'm wrong and I got to go say, uh, say sorry. Regardless, we're after the truth of God's word. A third element of the ministry of God's word is, is the faithful proclamation, the faithful study of it and the faithful uh, proclamation. Notice with me lastly under this point, fourth point, is the, um, and, the, and the final element is the call to personal uh, submission. Once again, notice with me 6B. Notice he says, True instruction was in his mouth. I'm picking it back up. And unrighteousness was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many back from iniquity. This was the second point review that I shared with you. And we're going to say it again. Brothers and sisters, this word is designed for you and I to submit to it. But ultimately, we must realize we're not submitting to the word. We're submitting to God, a person. Now you say, isn't that the same? It is. But if we just say it's submitted to this, it's so easy in our idolatry to make this the end. I've got to master this book. No, no, brothers and sisters, the end is when this book masters you. That's what we're after. We don't want to stop short of, well, I've, I've got my theology down. I've got my doctrine. Brothers and sisters, the deepest pit in hell is reserved for the theologian. It's not the doctrine that necessarily we're after, although we want good doctrine, of course. That's theology, of course. So our goal is not theology per se as an end in and of itself. Our goal is that we might come to see who God is, revere him, and then submit to him as he reveals himself through his word. That's what we're after. Now, brothers and sisters, let me share with you, therefore, in this context, the ground that we stand on when we read God's word. For that, I want you to think in Isaiah 55. 
You know the word, the, uh, the verse, maybe it's a scripture memory for, uh, for you as it is mine. So shall my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to be empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding the matter for which I sent it. We love that verse. God's word does. It works. But, but do you see that little phrase, so shall my word be? The context in Isaiah 55 is this. As the rain and the snow comes down from the heavens and does not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the, to the eater, so shall my word be. My word is water. My word is rain. Now, in the world, in the world in which we live, if you've got <clears throat> um, a field filled with, with weeds and you water it, what's going to happen next year or at the end of the year or in the end of that week? What's going to happen? You're going to get more weeds. Can I share with you the glory and the majesty of the ministry of God's word in your life? Isaiah 55, 13. Carrying on with what God's word does. After filling us with joy, being led forth with peace, right? Now he closes with this. Instead of the thorn bush, God's, God's word waters the soul of man. And instead of the thorn bush, which is a prickly, undesirable weed in Palestine, the cypress will come up in evergreen. And instead of the nettle, another type of thorn bush, in fact, the word for, for nettle in the root is the word to wail. Instead of this plant that makes you wail, the myrtle, another evergreen, will come up. And it will be a memorial to the Lord for an everlasting sign which will not be cut off. This is the miracle of God's word. In our world, you put water on a weed, it makes it a stronger weed. In the kingdom of God, you put water on a heart filled with weeds, and he makes it evergreen. How does he do it? He does it by and with, the, the, the Spirit of God working by and with his word. So you and I want to grow. We want to know God. We want to become the people God wants us uh, to be. It comes as you and I submit ourselves to the word. So we're not after just simply clicking off, I read God's word today. We're after being people who genuinely seek to come to a greater understanding of who our God is, that we might reverence him, that we might be used by God to take what we've learned, to share it, that other people might know life and peace. But before we do that, Ezra 7.10, Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach it. We first endeavor to practice it. We, we submit our hearts to it. As Paul told Timothy, pay close attention to yourself and then to your teaching persevere. Brothers and sisters, it's a, we've already uh, looked at this point, so it's a, a review, but a, 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 a crucial part in our understanding of the ministry of God's word, a crucial part that the priests of God's day missed. So that brings us then to verse 8. The priests missed it. That's the ministry. That's the covenant God gave with Levi about teaching. It included those four points. Notice what happened in verse 8. But as for you, you have turned aside from the way, and you have caused many to stumble by the instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. Brothers and sisters, this is shocking. One of the primary functions of the priest was instruction. Look back at verse 6 in your text. True instruction was in his mouth, and righteousness was not found in his lips. Um, that's what the calling was. And yet these priests in Malachi's day, because of what... Christianity, their relationship with God had become, remember, mechanistic. Now, what do we mean by that? Mindless, okay? Just going through the motions. What are you doing? I'm reading the word of God. Why? Because that's what I do, check mark. What are you doing? I'm eating breakfast. Why? Because that's what I do, check mark. I'm going to work. Why? Because that's what I do, check mark. 
right? We just go through the motions. The Christianity, or better yet, the religion of God for the last 140 years was about the same as it was for the last, in Malachi's day, 140 years. And by this time, many generations have risen up and everything they were doing, they were doing just mindlessly. Why are we doing it? I know this. I'm not expecting God to do, to do you know, anything big. The Shekinah glory didn't come back into the temple. The city walls are built, but we're now a vessel nation. I mean, God's done nothing. God's abandoned us. God's uh, forsaken us. So what do they do? They fell into mindless Christianity. And when you do mindless Christianity, what happens after time? Mindless Christianity, we can't live there because we're image bearers. Therefore, we attribute value to the things we're doing mindlessly. And that's what the priests did with regards to the worship of God, the teaching of God's word. They changed it. And now God's people, these, these men, um, because of that, what did they do, brothers and sisters? They, they turned aside from their calling. The way is verses 5 through 7. They turned that aside. They stopped doing that. Why? Brothers and sisters, I've seen many times. Mindless Christianity comes into a person's life, and so they, they, you know, they used to read God's Word because they were reading for discovery. I want to learn new things about God, and, but they've read the Word of God now multiple times, and so they're a little bored with God. They're a little bored with His Word, but they still need to read because they know that's, a, that's what good Christians do, so they do it, and they read it mindlessly, and they, they're fine with that. They're fine being that, and then trial comes in their lives or difficulties, and then they lift up their eyes as, they, as, as again, Lewis says, when, when trials come, it's the shout of God saying, lift your eyes up unto me, and it lifts our eyes up unto God, and we go, what's the point? I've been in the word of God for years. It's done nothing for me. What a waste. What a joke. You know what? I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm, I'm done reading. I'm going to do it this way. I, find, I have found the most inspirational thing is when I do it this way, or when I do it that way, or better yet, I find that the, the, the simple teaching of God's word is boring. I want that preacher and that sp- a teacher because he tickles my ears. Man, with those great stories, he's so practical. He gives me five ways I can have a, you know, a great marriage. Brothers and sisters, that's not why God's word was written. It wasn't written that you might have five ways to be a better businessman. It was written that you might know and behold almighty God, right? But that's what we do. That's what mechanistic Christianity does, and that's where God's people were. Now, they therefore fell, these priests fell into two errors. Number one, verse 8b, these ministers of the word of God turned aside from the way. Notice with me the verse again. But as for you, have turned aside from the way. How? You've caused many to stumble by the instruction. Look at that phrase, the instruction. He doesn't say your instruction. You know what that would mean? If it said your instructions, that would mean that the, that the priests had stopped teaching God's word and were teaching their own word. Okay? And churches have done that. No, they were, they, were, they were in God's word every week. They were teaching God's word every day. They were teaching God's word. But in their teaching, would you notice, first and foremost, they turned aside from the way. Their goal was not that God's people would come to know God, to come to a greater apprehension of their glorious God. Their goal was not that God's people would submit to God's word. It, their goal was not the peace of Christ. On and on and on, life, peace. It wasn't that. Something changed. They still utilize God's word, but they utilize it for another purpose. And that brings us to the second one, and that's verse 9b, which loan us at the very end. The ministers of God's word that were using the Bible, therefore, to advance their own or another's agenda. Verse 9, so also I've made you despised and abased before all the people, just as you are not keeping my ways, but are showing partiality in the instruction. You know what that means? 
They were teaching God's word to tickle the ears of man. They measured a successful teaching based upon the response of God's people to it. And most, and most importantly, and most likely here, the wealthy. They were reading God's word. They were teaching God's word so that the wealthy and powerful would give them that nod and thus give them money and help them and do whatever they wanted. They were no longer teaching God's word. They were teaching the word of wealthy men using God's word. Do you understand that? They, were, they had corrupted the most fundamental responsibility you and I have when it comes to, to, uh, to God's word. And that is allow it to speak for itself. Allow it to, uh, to speak. In other words, exegesis. Derive from it what it is saying. They changed it and began deriving from it what they wanted it to say. Brothers, again, we do this. Boy, do we do this, don't we? Watch over your heart with all diligence. This is something we do as God's people. We have an agenda, and we go there. Brothers and sisters, not only do it personally, but we do it in the, in the context of the pulpit. This was going on in Malachi's day. Let me read to you Jeremiah 5. An appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. So this predates Malachi's day, what? Jeremiah 727. Or, um, so how far back do we go? I'm sorry, 627, what, about 200 years um, maybe. An appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule on their own authority, and my people love it so. They did in Malachi's day. They did it in Jeremiah's day. Brothers and sisters, what do you suppose will be the bent of your heart and my heart when it comes to God's word? And the, the pulpit. We're going to want the pulpit to say the things that we want to hear. Isn't that what we read in 2 Timothy 4? The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, speaking of the last days. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from truth and will turn aside to myths. Brothers and sisters, in your heart is a desire to have the pulpit, to have the word, whatever it might be, the context, your own personal walk with God or the formal uh, preaching ministry of the church. You have desire for God's word to say, to affirm you. I have that desire. I want God's word to affirm what I said. I just had a conflict with this person. So what do I do? I got to go home and justify I was right because God's word says. And, and yeah, that yeah, I was right. I'm the right one here. They're the wrong one. So reading a book this past week on pastoral ministry. And it begins with this uh, premise. As a preacher, as a pastor, you are broken. You are, at, you are in trouble. And you will use ministry as a vehicle by which to puff yourself up. You are a broken person. You are in trouble. You are on the verge. What came to mind as I read this was if you and I were farmers and we went out to our, our, our field, it was filled with ripe growing plants, what we planted, really healthy plants. But as we walked the field, we looked down and we saw the ground, the ground was covered with a kind of a wheel, weed that would choke it out. You would come home and say, we are in trouble. And everyone would look at your field and say, what do you mean? Look at those green beans. They're huge. Man, you're going to produce some incredible fruit. We are in trouble. Why are we in trouble? Look closer. Brothers and sisters, we got to realize as Christians, we are in trouble because the seeds that will choke, the seeds of sin that will choke us out are just a step away. Remember what God told Esau, right? Sin is crouching at the door and his desires for you. 
Brothers and sisters, we need to come to God's word and realize that, that, that God's word is that which, which feeds us, grows us, matures us, 2 Timothy 3, and enables us to come and know who God is. And therefore, brothers and sisters, our call when it comes to God's word is to submit to it and not look for it to submit to us. And that brings us then, uh, second uh, to last, the consequence. When the ministry of God's word is compromised, notice with me, 9a. So I also have made you despised and abased before all the people. You know what happens when, when a pulpit gives up the ministry of God's word for something else? The priests become despised, which means they're taken lightly. And um, um, abased means ridiculed. You know, there was a time in redemptive history when the office of priest had some gravitas to it. Do you remember Samuel? He wasn't born in the tribe of Levi, but he was, he was basically a, he was a priest. He did the priestly function in, in for Samuel. He was a priest. Brother and sister, that was an, an era where priests meant something. This man was a man of God and a man of his word. And if God's people weren't going to obey, he would as an old man hacking up a gag, Right? I mean, that was a man. Brothers and sisters, at Malachi's day, the priests were laughed at. They not only were laughed at, they were ridiculed. Why? Because they took the ministry of God's word lightly. My phrase to you is this. A society that takes lightly the minister of God's word. I'll say it again. A society that takes lightly the minister of God's word will first have ministers who take lightly the ministry of God's word. Hand in hand. We lament our Hollywood. We lament how they make fun of Christianity, make fun of pastors and preachers and name it. We lament that. You know where it began? It began when this pulpit stopped proclaiming truth. We have no one to blame but ourselves. Brothers and sisters, incredible consequence that occurred in Malachi's day that is occurring in our own. And that is, therefore, the ministry the minister will be viewed as light. Which, which tells us this. It's not just the priests of Christ's day. It's this minister. It's these ministers. Do you understand, brothers and sisters? I'm going to close with this, this last point. Do you understand we're going to fail? This, I'm going to fail the calling. Who can do what I've just described here? Okay, I'm going to endeavor to do it, and you're going to endeavor to do it, but we're going to fail. And inevitably, we're all going to fall down. And when you fail, what are you going to do? First and foremost, you need to realize, brothers and sisters, verse 4. Let's go back there with the verse I skipped. Then you will know that I've sent this commandment to you, that my covenant may continue with Levi. God has a covenant with Levi. What was that covenant? It involved three things. To offer sacrifice, to pray, and to teach. Now, we know that the Old Testament priest was a shadow of Jesus Christ. Correct? Christ is the fulfillment. They're the type. Christ is the antitype. They're the shadow. Christ is the substance. So Christ is the one who prays, Romans chapter 8. Christ is the one. He's the, he's the true priest who um, worships, who, who represents us, who sacrifices, I'm sorry, who sacrifices himself on our behalf. And then thirdly, Christ is the true and only true teacher. You know what that means? Corporately, in terms of the context of ministry, brothers and sisters, we love our superstars. We do. 
our culture, our, our, the church. I'm getting this from a, a letter I wrote from a, a, a man who'd been in ministry for 30 years to his father who'd been in ministry for 55. It was a letter to his dad when he retired from ministry. And he said, Dad, our, our, in this, he says, our, our, culture, our, our Christian culture loves its superstars. We do. And we look, we put so much in them. That superstar, that man, I'm going to hear his words. He can give me comfort. He can give me peace. i got to talk with him. Brothers and sisters, this text more than anything else tells you the superstar is Christ. Christ is the fulfillment. Every pastor, every priest, uh, Old, Old Testament, every pastor knew, every preacher knew, will let you down. You can't go to the word, I'm sorry, you can't go to a pulpit thinking that that's going to be your your, uh, sustenance. Brothers and sisters, this pulpit will always let you down. It will always fail and fall short of God's call to what this pulpit must be. But get this and understand this. Get this in your, your minds. The purpose of this pulpit is to lead you to God, to the true preacher, to the true priest where we will sit down and sup and feast with him. So lastly, the perfect execution of the ministry of God's word comes as you and I recognize that the purpose of this pulpit, I'll always, let, I'll always fail, brothers and sisters. I know I will. But I praise God that Christ will never fail. So seek your Lord, your priest, your preacher. Go to him as you go to God's word and seek the fellowship with him. Because that is a message, um, this is the message of ministry that will not let you down. That's what we mean by the doctrine of infallible. It will not lead you astray. It'll never let you down. May God give us the grace so to do. Father, uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege that you've given us to come this day and gaze more upon this passage. Written at a time where your people had grown bored with you bored with Christianity, bored with worship. And so, Lord, we're changing it, transforming it. But, Lord, you didn't come in condemnation. You came to rebuke and to encourage and to build up and to restore your people to where they ought to be. And, Lord, that is us, every one of us here. We live in the same era as did the, or at least our era is is very similar to the era in which Malachi lived that era between uh, two climactic times of redemptive movings. Lord, that's where we are, waiting for the second coming of Jesus Christ, looking back at the first coming of Jesus Christ, easily growing bored, easily saying, where is the promise of his coming? Lord, that comes with, we know, predictable difficulties, predictable sins, one of which is to take your worship lightly. We praise you for the exhortation you gave in Malachi 1. And now, Lord, the taking of your word lightly. God, may we not grow weary in doing well. Grant your people the grace to respond to what we've fellowshiped this morning around with, with a passion, O oh God, for you, to cling to you, to love you, to seek you, to sit at your feet via your word, Studying it, reading from it, not imposing our views, but Lord, we responding, allowing your word to transform us, to crush our wayward will and transform us into the image of Jesus Christ more and more. Lord, we pray, grant us your people that we would be a people who would be that, that our children would rise up and be men and women of integrity when it comes to your word, driven by it, 
standing for it, dying for it if need be. May we be that and nothing less we, we pray. Thank you, Lord, that the object of your word is one and the same as the object of this table we're about ready to enjoy, and that is Jesus Christ. Father, direct our gaze as we come to this meal that we might feast upon Jesus, that you might be our all in all, that we would leave here having been refreshed and built up, not by hearing the words of, of, a, of an idiot called Craig Thurston, but the words of Almighty God. And thus, O oh Lord, having fellowship, Lord, not with um, necessarily brothers and sisters, but ultimately with Jesus Christ himself in this table. God bless this time, we pray in Jesus' name.